Once uh, a pastor got up in the pulpit and he said to the congregation with great boldness and great conviction and great volume, and as it turned out, uh, uh, a failed attempt at humor, these words, it's not complicated. <laughs> True story, especially the part about the failed attempt at humor. Who was here last week? I stood here attempting to warm us up a little, trying to be funny, and you did this. And the more you do this, the harder I try. But that's for another day. It is true. Last week I said it's not complicated, but this morning I'm here to tell you that it is complicated. And so we find ourselves on this horn of a great dilemma. Is it complicated or is it not complicated? That's the question. I'm helped in answering this question when I remember the quote of a former United States president who said, well, it depends on what the meaning of the word is, is. So in this case, it depends on what the meaning of the word it is. If the it refers to the reality that God has made himself readily accessible and approachable, then it is not complicated. If, however, the it refers to living out the simple truth of God in this culture or in any other culture, then it is complicated. And that's the challenge that's before us this morning. It's a challenge that goes out to all of us to, to live out the uncomplicated truth of God in a very complicated world. That's what we must do. You and I are called to live out the uncomplicated truth of God in a world that's very complicated. That's what we're going to see this morning as we come to Deuteronomy chapter 31. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to ask you to take them and turn the Old Testament to the book of Deuteronomy, the 31st chapter. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one there in the pew in front of you. And when you found chapter 31, let's stand so that we may hear the word of the living God read together. Deuteronomy chapter 31, beginning in verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. Then Moses went out and spoke these words to all Israel. I am now 120 years old, and I'm no longer able to lead you. The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. The Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you will take possession of their land. Joshua will also cross over ahead of you, as the Lord said. And the Lord will do to them what he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, whom he destroyed along with their land. The Lord will deliver them to you, and you must do to them all that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their forefathers to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. 
the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It is truth. Thank you for your spirit. It's by your spirit that you reveal your truth to us. You show us how to apply it to our lives. You empower us through your spirit to live out your truth in this world. And that's our request of you again this morning as we come to your word. Show us the truth. Empower us to live your truth. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. Well, as you know, chapter 30 was the chapter of awesome, amazing, unbelievable truth, right? Truth such as people will always sin and God will always forgive those who repent. What a joy it is for me to say and for you to hear for a fourth Sunday in a row that amazing truth. Truth such as we must, we can't, but what? We shall in Christ. What? We must, we can't, but? Hey, right, what a joy to repeat again for a third week in a row this amazing truth. Truth like this, it is not complicated. What a joy it is for me to repeat and for you to hear for a second week in a row that God is not beyond our reach. He's accessible. He's approachable. We get to him through faith in Jesus Christ because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Thank you. It's not complicated. God has presented to us a simple choice, life and prosperity or death and destruction. Now you choose life. All of that is truth, simple truth from Deuteronomy chapter 30. And so I'm so joyful about that truth. Are you joyful about that truth? Are you? And I am so spiritually satisfied that I'm ready to say, ah, I'm ready to lace my fingers behind my head, lie down in a green pasture beside still water in the warmth of the light of the truth of God. Right. But then we come to chapter 31. And chapter 31 jars us awake from our spiritual drowsiness and that soft green grass by that nice water. And it reminds us that life is not simple. And it reminds us that the simplicity of the truth of God has to be lived out in a world that is complicated. What's the immediate complication for these people standing on the plains of Moab listening to these words of Moses? The complication is this, just across the Jordan River is the promised land, the land that God is giving to these people, the land in which other nations are now dwelling. Other families are living in the houses in those lands and other shepherds are taking care of the sheep in that land and other farmers are tending and cultivating the fields and the vineyards in that land. Now that is without doubt 
a complication, right? These people are crossing into the promised land, but they are not crossing into utopia. Nor, as we know from history, and as Moses knew even in this moment through prophetic knowledge given to him by the Lord, it never will be utopia. Because of the sinful disobedience of the people, they will always pervert and prevent God's best for them from ever coming to pass. But still, God's simple truth belongs in that place with all its complications. God is not ignorant of those complications. It isn't as if God said, oh, okay, I did not see those complications coming. Never mind then, my truth is only to be lived out in the world when it's easy for you. God didn't say that. He knows the complications of their world. He knows the complications of our world. He knows the source of those complications and the consequences of them. And that is exactly why God said to Adam and Eve, that tree over there, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, do not eat from it. But Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and we call that sin. They ate from that tree, and in that moment of sin, the world became a complicated place. It did. Thorns and thistles complicated the gardening that had been such a joy for Adam. Sweat and labor complicated the ease with which God had provided for their every need. What childbearing might have been, we are not told. All we know that it is now, in reality, painful. Sin grew, it multiplied. No place in life, no part of life goes untouched by it except heaven itself. In heaven, in that place, in God's presence, sin has no power, it has no place, it has no punch. It is completely impotent. But in this world, our world, that's not the case. As sin burgeoned, so did the complications of life. And some of the most horrific aspects of it were lived out among the nations that currently dwell in the promised land. Now, we looked at that literally years ago. <laughs> because it was back in Deuteronomy chapter four. So we're going back years, but we talked about it then and I'm not gonna rehash it now, except to say that in that land, uh, they, they were living lives of extreme sexual perversion. Child sacrifice was part of their lives. Those are just two of the most extreme examples of what was going on in the promised land. But the point is, the people of Israel are not standing on the brink of utopia. They're going to have to face these cultures with obedience to and trust in the uncomplicated truth of God. And the same is true for you and for me. We do not live in utopia, right? Sin brings complications to our lives. 
Our lives are complicated when we rebel against God, when we are determined to do what we want to do. Here's an example. Here's just one simple command. God tells us to speak the truth in love. So here's the command. Speak the truth. When you and I do not speak the truth, immediately we find a complication in our lives, right? And the reason that we don't speak the truth is not the issue. Maybe we just want to lie. Or maybe we don't want to speak the truth because we want to avoid conflict and make our lives a little easier. Whatever the reason, when we do not speak the truth, complication ensues. Now, take the qualifier of that command. Speak the truth in love. The moment we don't speak the truth we're speaking in love, immediately there is a complication, right? When we're harsh or unkind with the truth. But here's the insidiousness of sin. Suppose that you do speak the truth in love. Yay, I spoke the truth in love. But the person to whom you're speaking the truth doesn't want to hear the truth that you are speaking to them. And so their goal then becomes to kill the messenger, right? You're the one that spoke truth to them. And so their sinful reaction to your obedience complicates your life. What I'm trying to get us to acknowledge is that the very real complications in our lives are the result of sin. Our own sin or the sin of others against us. And of course, we have the complications of the biggies in life like sickness and death and war, all of those things, but they're all part of a sinful fallen world. And so you and I have to unlace our fingers and get up off the green grass and leave the still waters. And I don't mean to say that we never have those moments in our lives. We do, don't we? Because God, he's so good and he's so gracious to us and he gives us those moments. But the reality is that our world is not utopian and it's becoming for us increasingly dystopian because when we look at the future, and I don't care if you're here this morning and you're millennial or Gen X or if you're a baby boomer or part of the greatest generation, We don't look toward the future now with hope. Our culture fears an unpleasant, bad future awaits us if we continue on the same path. That's our fear. And so our literature and our movies reflect our culture. What do we fear? Let's go back to the mid-20th century. What was the big fear? Some of you my age and older remember what we were afraid of, right? Russia. Communism, right? The Cold War. And so literature reflected that. George Orwell wrote in 1945, Animal Farm. Did you ever read Animal Farm? Raise your hand if you read Animal Farm, right? And it's a parody of Stalin's kind of socialism. If you didn't read that one, you probably wrote, read the book he wrote in 1949, entitled 1984. Raise your hand if you read that. Yeah, I read it before 1984, so it's still kind of cool. Then... But you remember that book, Government Surveillance, Big Brother is always watching, right? And the thought police and the thought crime. We fear it, dystopian. Today we fear different things. Today we fear technology. And 
how it might be used someday against us. Every time we pull out the phone, oh, this is so cool. And global positioning, this is so cool. Well, for now, but how might that be used against us? The environment, climate change, what's going to happen? Where's consumerism finally going to lead us? So now our movies reflect our dystopian fears. Think about the apocalyptic movies that are written. How about this one from 2013, Oblivion? (laughs) That's an encouraging title. (laughs) What about the enormous success of the Hunger Games? What is up with that? Televised, teenagers, Killing each other. Only one can survive. The book of Eli with its lone survivor fighting his way across America in order to protect the sacred book that holds the secret to the saving of humankind. Even our animated movies, dystopian. The Lego movie, right? The poor Legos. They they, they have to revolt form a resistance against the evil businessman that wants to glue everything together. That's bad news if you're a Lego. (laughs) The animated film WALL-E combines all these technology, climate change, and the logical end of consumerism all at once because here's WALL-E, a lonely robot on earth that's entirely covered in garbage, left by wasteful humans, And he finds that the last remnants of human society are morbidly obese and dependent on technology. Now, these are our movies, and they're all big successes. And we're attracted to them because we have these fears. And these movies give voice and image to our fears. Dystopia feeds on fear, but God knows that. It does not take him by surprise. Utopia is not what immediately faces the people of God. Utopia never faces the people of God when we plant ourselves in the midst of the cultures of this world. Sometimes we think if we retreat, oh, it'll be okay. We'll withdraw from the world. We'll form a utopian society. But guess what? Study history. They never work. And a lot of times the reason they fail is because of troubles within that quote-unquote utopian society. God knows that we need to live out his complicated truth in a complicated world. That's what he calls us to. And so we hear God's twice-repeated command. Look in verse, these first eight verses. Look in verse 8. God says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified. And again, in verse seven, be strong and courageous. And at the end of verse eight, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. So apparently it's not time to lie down in green pastures. Not yet. It's not time to stroll lazily by the still waters. Not yet. Utopia would not require strength or courage or fearlessness. Utopia would not inspire terror. What we face in the world will. In America, evangelical Christians, that's us. We have to come to terms with that. It's for our lack of understanding this truth that we've become what we have become. You know, here comes the guilt. 
but it's true. Not least of which is self-centered and consumeristic. Christianity has become equated with the one or two hours we spend together on Sunday morning. And my, isn't that a pleasant experience? Beautiful people greet you. In some places, they'll put a cup of coffee in your hand. And they'll show you to a comfortable seat to sit in. And though they wouldn't dare say it, what they're thinking is, enjoy the show, right? So because of that, we are often ill-equipped to face anything unpleasant. And we're ill-equipped often to deal with the complications that come with sin. But God was not calling his people to a once-a-week event. God was calling his people here in Deuteronomy to build a kingdom. God was calling his people to a lifestyle, a way of living. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day, they stood on the shores of the Jordan River and they looked across at the land that they would have to do battle in order to take and to build a kingdom and to live that lifestyle. And they had already shrunk from this once, right? They said, no way. That is not for us. That's too difficult. That's an unwinnable battle. There are giants in the land. And so we have lost our battle mentality. And inasmuch as we have lost it or never had it, then God's commands fall on deaf ears. Be strong? What for? Everything's comfortable. Don't be afraid. (laughs) What do I have to fear? Everything is peaceful. Do not be discouraged. Why would I be discouraged? Everything is so pleasant. God has not called us only to establish a once a week worship service as beautiful and wonderful as that is. God has called us who have gathered here to worship to establish a kingdom. A kingdom. We are part of of a kingdom movement. So if we aren't feeling a little bit of fear, if we aren't feeling a little bit of weakness, like this is too much for us, if we're not feeling a little bit discouraged because it seems like, man, we are never gonna make a difference in this world for Jesus' sake, then maybe we aren't seeing the real battle. And if we aren't feeling these feelings that usually accompany battle, then we won't look for the promises of God that will assuage every fear. Or look, maybe we do fight battles. Which ones are they? Oh, I know, worship wars. Hymns only, psalms only, organ only, piano only. Dude, how can you even have church without a kit and a thumping bass, right? That's what we fight about. We have worship wars. If only we could stop fighting each other and point to the true battles in this world. Did you know that this is a world full of injustice and inequity? And it won't be overcome apart from waging war against that injustice and inequity. It isn't going to self-correct. If that were possible, it would have already happened. The world and the church is full of wrong attitudes 
that lead to division instead of unity. And those attitudes won't be changed or overcome apart from a battle. Battling those attitudes in our own hearts, battling those attitudes in the lives of others. There are hungry people in the world. There are orphans in the world. There are people who are going to die having never heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the church. We're battling each other over the songs we sing and nuances of theology. Could I be brash enough to say, we need to get a life? Truly. Because the gospel addresses all of these issues. The gospel can change all these things. Do you believe that? We have the privilege of making a difference in this world with the simple good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, but not apart from a battle. Sometimes we remember people because of their quotes. That's how I always remember the president of the seminary from which I graduated, Robertson McQuilkin, said a lot of great things, but this is one I've said to you all often. His quote was, it's easier to go to a logical extreme than to stay in the center of biblical tension. Impacted my life for all these years. All right, so when I'm dead and gone, all right, when I'm dead and gone, if you remember this quote, if you say, you know, I had a pastor who used to say this, I would be so happy. It would be fine with me. Not because I said it first. I don't think it's possible that I could have said it first. I just don't remember where I heard it. But anyway, I've said it to you before and I'm going to say it again. And this is what you can quote me on forever and ever. Whatever God ordains, Satan opposes. Principle for the rest of our lives. Whatever God ordains, Satan, our enemy, opposes. God commands us to be strong because our enemy wants us to be weak in the face of the challenges before us. God commands us to be courageous because our enemy wants us to be faint-hearted in the face of the challenges before us. God commands us, do not be afraid. He even says, do not be terrified because our enemy wants us to be afraid and terrified in the face of the challenges before us. God commands, do not be dismayed because our enemy wants us to lose heart and give up in the face of the challenges before us. The awesome truths at which we've looked require implementation and application in a setting of opposition. We've got to embrace that. In a place where people will fight for their ways, in a place where people will attempt to defeat you, in a place and among people who present themselves as more powerful than you are. So you see, it is complicated, isn't it? But still, the gospel must be applied in a complicated, dystopian world. It's not easy. So we need some good news now, don't we? <laughs> who wants some good news? I want some good news to assuage these fears. Here's the good news. Look in verse six. God's people are to be strong. God's people are be, to be courageous. God's people are not to be afraid. God's people are not to be terrified. God's people are not to be discouraged because 
The Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Is that good news? Yeah, so God says again in verse 8. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. We have with us. We have in us. We have fighting for us the presence of the one and only true and living God. Ho! Can I get an amen? amen? Sin complicates this world. And fear creates dystopian drama. But we have the uncomplicated reality of the God who is with us. And we take that truth into the world. Now is the time to do battle. And so Jesus says things like this. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. For I have what? Overcome the world. In Matthew 16, after Peter makes his great profession, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says, I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's battle language. The gates of hell, that's a a metaphor for for power. Jesus doesn't mean that Satan's going to throw big gates at us. Boom, boom, boom. No, the gate represents the strength of a city. Strong walls held strong gates. And the stronger your walls, the stronger your gates, the more powerful you were. So what Jesus is saying is this. Our enemy, the one who opposes us, is going to come against us with all his power. But the good news is what? Jesus says he will not prevail. That's the promise of Jesus. Rest is coming. Truly, it is. Utopia is coming We call it heaven for all the saints who from their labors rest, but not yet. That's not what this world is about. This is a complicated world, a place of very real battle. So scripture talks about warfare. Scripture talks about the armor of God. Scripture talks about weapons that are fashioned against us. And so we fight to take this uncomplicated truth of God into a complicated world because we know that whatever God ordains, Satan opposes. He attempts to complicate and confuse. The gospel is simple good news, but Satan ingrains within us if it sounds too good to be true. It probably is. No, it isn't. It's that simple. And so we stand on the precipice, as the ancient Israelites did, looking into the promised land and the giants that were living there. It's complicated, but they chose faith. And so must we, because we know that God is with us. And we know that in this spot, this spot, where God has placed us, we can work to bring about justice and mercy because that's what the gospel is about. The justice of God poured out on Jesus on the cross because God is a God of mercy. We can be about reconciliation between all kinds of people in all kinds of places because God has reconciled the world to himself 
through Christ, right? We can address poverty because for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. We fight because we believe the promise of God. Verse 7, you must go with his people into the land that the Lord swore to your forefathers. They fought for the promise of God. People of the promise. People who believe that all the promises of God find their yes and amen in Christ. Do you believe that? All the promises of God find their yes and amen in Christ. One day, one day we're going to rest. We're going to rest with those who have already fought the fight. And that's the truth that should inspire us this morning. What's coming? The hope to hold out before each other as you and I take this uncomplicated good news of the gospel into a complicated world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your promises that are so clear that can assuage all of our feelings of fear or terror or despair, any of those things. Lord, we, we, we face battles in our lives. We have personal battles in our own lives or that seems to take all our attention and focus. And so I don't even mention them this morning because we're so often self-consumed. But Lord, we as a church, as a corporate body, as a family on mission together, we have battles that we have to fight as well. Because we do want to make a difference in this place for Jesus' sake. And we know that we do that with the gospel. So enable us to take up that challenge, Lord, in a world that's so complicated. And all we need to do is to go once and live among those who are in poverty, live in the midst of of division. And we see instantly how complicated things are. In our minds, we imagine, oh, how wonderful. But know the reality of it, Lord, is it's difficult. So remind us of your promise that you are with us. You go before us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. And so we go behind you. You've already been there. You're leading the way. You're empowering us. So, Father, we do pray. Our our time is so short. Life on earth is so short. Help us not to waste it. Help us to see the battle that life truly is and to fight it in your power and for your glory and so that your kingdom on this earth will extend to every part of the world. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.